This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. Welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg, episode 55, which to steal a little thing from Horwat, it is episode Sergey Gonchar, episode Larry Murphy, episode double Ulf Samuelsons. It is yeah. episode 55. Oh, that's a nice little throwback. Uh, the only other 55 I can think of right now is Mark Shifley, so I'm stepping out of <laughs> Pittsburgh for that one. But it is episode 55 of the Tip of the Iceberg podcast. We are brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network, and we are in week number six now of the hockey hiatus due to coronavirus. My name is Nick Berlansky. I still have my sanity. I'm joined, as always, by Nick Horwat. Do you still have your sanity over there, Horwat? Yes, I have my sanity, but I do not have my facial hair. I finally caved in and shaved that nonsense that I get. See, you shaved it, and now I'm starting to grow mine out. My, I am in desperate need of a haircut. It's absolutely horrendous. You remember freshman year, how mm. bad it was? It's getting there right now. See, I, I did something different with my hair, so it can get long again since freshman year. But we're still locked in, but things are going well for me. I'm, I'm pretty used to just sitting at home doing nothing, so <laughs> I've been doing just fine here. And it's, it's getting difficult because of how long this is going, and now... You really don't know how long it's going to go because it's been a month and a half now. So lots of rumors out there about how it's going to end. But in the end of the day, we just sit back, we talk hockey, and we try to get through it one day at a time. Yeah, that's all you can do. It's it's a moving situation. No one really knows how it's going to go down or what's going to go down. We have a very jam-packed show for you today. We have the final four. Yes, the final four of the March of the Penguins Madness Tournament. It all comes down to this week. We're going to see the final four matchups from Monday to Wednesday, and then from Wednesday to Friday, we're going to have our finals matchup, so we'll preview that. And we are also going to be joined a little bit later by former first-round pick of the Pittsburgh Penguins, Doug Bodger. We had a little interview with him, so we'll have that for you guys in the second half of the episode. But I'd like to start us off with something that we talked a little bit about last week, and I was called out. I guess we were hmm. lumped together, but I, I was so. specifically called out on Twitter when I said that Anchorman 1 was better than Anchorman 2, Anchorman 2 is all right. I watched it again just to give it another chance, but Anchorman 1 is much better. Horwat, what is your opinion before I go into this? My opinion is, first of all, I mentioned this to you before we started recording everything. I don't remember exactly what we said last week about Anchorman, but if I'm just going to go back to it, if I had to pick one, I guess I'm going to pick the first one because the first one was always better, but I think I've seen the second one more times. I know I haven't seen the first one that much. That's why I know I wasn't able to give a good description of it last week. But um, I know I've seen the second one more times, and because of that, it has become more memorable to me, at least. I know the memes and the jokes from the first one, at least, so this could escalate quickly, I guess. <laughs> it could escalate quickly. Now, now listen, I never said that Anchorman 2 was a bad movie. Like I said, I watched it back. It's okay. It's a decent movie, but some movies especially some Will Ferrell movies, they just don't warrant sequels. Not saying yeah. that I don't like Anchorman 2, but I'm not also saying it was not really necessary because the first one was better. The storyline was better. There's okay. way more memorable one-liners, and overall it was just a better movie. Now, like I said, some movies, and especially Will Ferrell movies, don't need sequels. Look at Step Brothers, for example. All-time great. 
doesn't need a Step Brothers 2. Why? Because the first one was good enough. Or my favorite Will Ferrell movie, The Other Guys. There's not a The Other Guys 2. He didn't come out and shoot Miguel and Duhar. Nope, just he <laughs> shot Jarek Jeter. That's it. And The Other Guys won because there's only one of them. If you like right. The Anchorman 2 more than one, that's fine. You're entitled to your opinion, but your opinion is wrong. Anchorman 1 is the superior of the two Anchorman movies. Not saying that the second one is bad, just saying the first one's better. All right, and um, I'm just going to tail off of that because you can hold on to your opinion. I'm just going to say movies that get sequels usually aren't that great. The second one usually isn't a good thing. It's usually a cash grab. It really depends on the movie. Obviously, Star Wars is able to go through nine movies and be perfectly fine. Tales like series. Yeah, like tales like that are able to do things. But my question for you is, which Jump Street is better, 21 or 22? Uh, see, those, that warranted a sequel. Yes, it did. And <laughs> any of the ones in the second one that they teased as jokes in the end, I would have mm-hmm. still watched. Absolutely. Because I just watched both of them during this quarantine. and 22 Jump Street. I got tw- I got to go with 22 Jump Street. Yeah, some, it's a like tough I said, push. Some movies don't warrant sequels. That one did. And Schmidt definitely fucked the captain's daughter. So that is definitely <laughs> my favorite of the two. Yeah, uh, 22 is it's definitely the funnier one. I just think 21 may have been the better story, at least. Because the story of 21 made more sense, I think. Yeah, and that's how it usually is with, with these these comedies, especially. So, one other entertainment thing that I wanted to, to throw out there, because last week after we finished recording, I started doing something that I'm pretty sure no man has ventured to do in, the, in recent memory. I began binge-watching the reality show Survivor. And... Yeah. I started binging it on Hulu. There's 36 seasons, I believe. 34 or 36 seasons, which is ridiculous. I sent out a picture that that's what I was doing. And boy, did I get negative feedback on it. So my question, Horwat, and and I know you said you might not have seen it, but what is wrong with Survivor? I genuinely don't know because I have never seen an episode of Survivor. I mean, it just never tickled my interest, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I don't know much about reality shows either, but I know Survivor's the one where they stick people on an island. It just kind of seems like an unscripted lost, almost. You know, they just kind of have these this group of people stuck on an island. Nothing else to do but survive, I guess. I mean... They got challenges and immunity yeah, awards and stuff like that. And and I listen, I, I'm not naive enough to think that it's not scripted. It is partially scripted. Yeah. Sort of how, like, when you were growing up, wrestling's real until it's not. I don't know why I got such a negative reaction so if you guys have a negative reaction to survivor please let me know tweet at me at nick underscore berlansky or if you want to tweet at the show tweet at iceberg podcast i guess we can get into that on, on a hockey medium as well but why not when you say scripted like that's one of those shows that you kind of have to have a script for because you can't just throw a group of people on an island and expect not not expect some of them to die <laughs> because well yeah i mean it's, like because that's one of those shows you got to figure like what happens when the camera stop rolling they just let them sit out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, I'm sure it's some island that they've made sure there's nothing that can kill them on, but yeah. at the well, same time. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far because the season that I'm on now, which is season two, yes, I did binge watch an entire season and a half in a week. But That's all right. <laughs> the season that I'm on right now, in one of the episodes, a guy was, all he was doing was fanning a fire, and he accidentally inhaled smoke, passed out, and fell into the fire. And they actually showed his hands were, like, oh. melted off. And he was, of course, disqualified from the game for health reasons. Some of this stuff is not scripted. It is loosely guided. To me, it's entertainment. And I don't want to run through all the good shows during this quarantine. 
because I want to be able to actually have stuff to watch once we get out of this besides <laughs> sports. So that's my reasoning. I'm telling you, I'm just going to keep throwing it. Or not keep throwing I guess the first time I said it, but you got to watch Letterkenny if you have not yet. And that goes for everyone listening as well because Letterkenny, if you are a hockey fan, or I mean, there's a, not a ton of hockey, but it's a lot of good hockey references. The two hockey players in it are hysterical. And oh, if you if you like good Canadian comedy, eh, um, it's a great show for um, all kinds of different reasons. But that's one of my favorites right now. Now that we have given you all of our suggestions for quarantine watching in the first 10 minutes of episode 55. Let's get into some hockey, shall we? Absolutely. We are going to talk about the March of the Penguins Madness Tournament. Yet again, the final time we will discuss the March of the Penguins Madness. I'm sure we'll mention it next week as to who the winner was. Yeah. But this is the last time we're talking about matchups, and it is the final four. We had the Elite Eight last week. We're down to the final four, and it is basically some of them you could have seen coming. Some of them may be a surprise. In one half, we have head coach Mike Sullivan of the Pittsburgh Penguins currently taking on the legend, Mike Lang. And in the other side, we have legend versus legend, captain versus captain, Mario Lemieux versus Sidney Crosby. So, Horwat, I'll let you lead us off. What do you think about the Sully versus uh, Mike Lang matchup? Excuse me. And and who do you think? Well, let's just say what, what do you think about the matchup so far? Sullivan may have gotten here through a lot of the newbies, kind of, because yeah, what he done, what he's done here is great. But at the same time, you figure Badger Bob Johnson lost in the first friggin' round. But I mean, nothing against Mike Sullivan, of course. You know he's done great things for this team in the f- couple years he's been here. Two cups, maybe a Jack Adams this year. Already up there with some of the best coaches in Penguin history. It's well, it's a well-deserved spot, especially against some of the guys he was going going up against but then you dip over to mike lang and you figure i mean this guy's the one that's been around you know been around forever he's still around today he's announced all the great games that the penguins have had he's announced all of the moments all of the players and has really deserved every little bit of recognition he gets in the city and with the team you look at this matchup and it really is the legend versus the coach it's yeah the old school guys versus the new school guys. Mike Sullivan, of course, being the coach for five seasons. Mike Lang being the voice of the Pittsburgh Penguins for the past 45 seasons. So <laughs> Lang definitely has a beat on longevity. But I think Sullivan has that edge a little bit because he's more hands-on and has more of an effect on the team's success. And so far, 9-2 and two in playoff series, he's had a pretty successful start to his career. Yeah, definitely. I'd say so. So it's going to be an interesting matchup. We'll get into picks a little bit later, but let's move on to the Mario versus Sid matchup. Or <laughs> what are your thoughts on the matchup? Uh, the one we all kind of saw coming, but almost didn't want to see coming because we, I, at least I didn't. I wanted to see different names in here, but it is the one that we all kind of saw coming. All the one we all kind of figured was going to happen. It's a couple of one seeds. It's the two top players in the franchise's history and. I mean, there's always arguments made in real life, like who is the actual better player because you figure Mario played in a different era while Crosby has you know, been able to dominate through a much more defensively-minded, much more aggressive speed-type game. Who would balance up against who? It's always one of those conversations, and you have to figure, skill-wise, one of them is going to be better, I guess. But um, obviously that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about who are the people going to pick I mean, really, it's, like I said before, they're going to side with Crosby because he's kind of the 
the newbie, I guess, out of these two. He's kind of the the younger face that fans are going to gravitate toward because we see what he's doing now on the ice. We see what he's been doing. It's more recent memory. While Mario, it's like, oh, you forget that he did all these things. You forgot that he, you know, scored five goals in in New York. Not even five goals, five different ways. He scored that five goals at Madison Square Garden whenever the Penguins were on their big long winning streak in '93. You forget that he bought the team at '99. You know, he did it so long. He's had it for so long now that you forget that he's kind of been saving the team back and forth. And it's, I would lean toward people are going to be voting for Crosby on it, but. You know, if we want to jump into picks, I'm taking Mario in this because he is the reason why the team is still here. He's the one that set the standard for records for the record books on this team. And I mean, judging by the way some things are going, it, they don't look like they're going to get touched for another millennium, maybe. If even then. Exactly. Yes, this is definitely the old guard versus the new mm-hmm. guard. So it's going to be interesting, especially with the voting. We've seen Mario have absolutely amazing wins basically every time that mario's gone in a matchup since we've started this it's been 95 plus to whatever is left <laughs> yager got a little bit more i think yager got i think 12 percent on mario so he knocked him down to 88 percent in the voting but that's still not really a good look for somebody going up against him in Sidney crosby but while mario had all the natural greatness and he was just naturally one of the best players in history which is ridiculous Sid had his fair share of natural talent, but he has a work ethic that is unparalleled. And I don't think even Mario Lemieux can sniff when it comes to work ethic with Sidney Crosby. Now, also, people are going to argue Sid has three cups. Mario has two. Eh, I would say Mario has five. Okay. Mario technically has five, but as a player, Sid has three cups. Mario has two. People still look at that. But Mario bought the team. Not to mention the fact that Mario bought the team in a way that was better than anybody else taking over a dying business. He paid everybody back a dollar on the dollar. So Mm -hmm. he has a lot of favoritism in Pittsburgh and as it should be. And so does Sidney Crosby. It's going to be interesting because Mario saved the team several times. Even Sidney Crosby has saved the team. Let's not forget how bad that team was before they drafted Sidney Crosby. Yeah. Yeah. I can remember just wasn't a good team. I mean, yeah, we picked up flurry and, Malkin in the first two in the two drafts before Crosby but you got to figure we didn't have Malkin for that that year because it was a lockout year and then we didn't have him Crosby's rookie season because he was still stuck in Russia and those couple seasons where Flurry was the starter hit the first of his career people forget he wasn't that great of a goalie yeah he was able to string together wins and be decent enough to be the starter on this team but he was all over the place he I don't have his numbers in front of me but I mean I can just remember him not I mean, maybe this is just me being young and not realizing, but I can remember him not being the greatest goalie yet, especially at a young age. I mean, you also have to figure he was young. He was the first-round draft pick and then immediately almost put into the lineup. And for goalies, you you got to progress a little bit. You have to grow as a player, um, especially in that position. I mean, we're seeing Jordan Bennington now who, you know, just won a Stanley Cup, but how much time did he grind it out in the minors? I mean, maybe longer than he should have, but, you know, he had to work his way up Matt Murray even um I just did a little piece on the 2012 draft and that's when we picked him we picked him in 2012 you know so you got to figure he didn't get his start until 2016 so four years he was grinding his way up and I can remember in you know high school talking about this guy we have in the minors is going to be really good he's like got three straight shutouts he ended up having 12 that season in the AHL 
leading the AHL in, I believe it was shutouts. all the important all the important categories: shutouts, yeah. goals against average, and save percentage. Yeah, it takes a while for goaltenders to develop, and Flurry had to do that all in the NHL. Mm-hmm. These other goaltenders, like you mentioned, Bennington and Murray, and even when Murray came up to the NHL, he was considered a very young goalie at the age of 22. So Flurry starting his career at the age of 18 and just basically spending his entire career in the NHL with a couple exceptions here or there, a couple games in the A. But he was thrown into the spotlight right off the bat. Unfortunately, he did not make it to the Final Four. These other guys that we talked about, Lang, Sullivan, Crosby, Lemieux, they're all in the Final Four, so it's time for predictions. Horwat, how do you see this going, and who do you see as your champion? let's, Let's pick a final, and then let's tell us who your champion is. Um... I think it's going to be a weird one. I think it is going to end up going Crosby, Sullivan, and then hands down it's going to go to Crosby after that because that's just the way I feel like this voting is going to go. I don't know why. I just feel like that's the read I'm getting out of it. As much as it pains me, it is going to be tough for Mike Lang to win this. You know, he's been my favorite mm-hmm. since from the outset, and this is our predictions because our vote only counts as one as well. Yeah. Our vote counts just as much as your vote, and that's the way we wanted it to be. But Mike Lang had a lot of trouble getting past Dan Potash on the Elite Eight. <laughs> well, I mean, Dan's a character. I think I was voting for Potash, too, because that's just that would be fun to see. It didn't help Lang that I posted him with a picture of the Jake Gensel <laughs> sweat. Exactly. You were just, you weren't helping your boy out. Yeah, I wasn't. But you know what? He pulled it out there, and I think he'll pull it out here as well. You have Crosby, Sullivan. I'm going to go Mike Lang, Mario Lemieux. And realistically Mike Sullivan versus Mike Lang Lang has that pedigree to him that I think people will still look at and say okay he is the guy he is the hall of famer he is the legend so I think Mike Lang edges out Mike Sullivan and for Mario Lemieux if this poll was done at the end of Sidney Crosby's career I think it would be Crosby probably in a shoe-in which is a little bit of a hot take, but if there was, this was done at the end of Crosby's career, I think it's a little bit of a shoe-in because I think we still have a lot to see of Sidney Crosby for the rest of his career. But I think as of right now, as the way it stands and as the pattern of voting has gone, can't go against 66. I think it's going to be Mike Lang versus Mario Lemieux in the final, and I do think that Mario Lemieux is going to win it. The favorite from the outset, sometimes in March Madness, the favorite from the outset goes through and wins it. and kind of ruins everybody's day that wanted to see an upset. And I think that's what happens here. I, I think Mario Lemieux wins it, but I don't think anybody's day is going to be ruined because of it. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I mean, I think any of these four, our fans would take our fans or us, we would be able to take it. Cause that'd be a good, that would be a great choice either way. You know, I can't disagree with what you said either, because like I said, we would be, we'd probably be okay and agree with whoever wins out of this. Well, voting starts at noon on Monday, and it will run until Wednesday for the final four matchups. And then right after that is determined on Wednesday, we will have the polls right back up for the championship matchup spanning from Wednesday to Friday. And by the next time we come to you guys on the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, we will have a winner of the March of the Penguins Madness Tournament. But we are going to take a quick break. When we return, we will be joined by former Pittsburgh Penguin first-round pick, Doug Bodger. We'll be right back. 
This episode of the Tip of the Iceberg is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-belt grooming, offering precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Got a crazy bush? I may not be a contractor, but even I know that if you trim your hedges, your tree stands taller. This is why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. Millions of balls are about to be nick-free thanks to Manscaped's new and improved Lawnmower 3.0 featuring advanced skin-safe technology to keep your soldier polished and cut-free. If you're like me and like to handle this kind of business in the shower, the Lawnmower 3.0 is waterproof and features an LED light, so even guys as blind as I am can see what they're doing. If you are listening to me, you are one of the first people to hear about this life-changing product, and you too can experience it firsthand. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THPN at manscaped.com. Again, that's code THPN for 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com. Trust me, your balls will thank you. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network on Twitter at HockeyPodNet. New episodes every Monday and Thursday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. Joining me today is a very special guest. He won the WHL Championship in 1984, followed that up by being a first-round pick of the Pittsburgh Penguins in the 1984 NHL Entry Draft. He protected the net front of legendary goalies such as Hasek, Fuhr, and Broder. One of the few players part of the coveted 1,000 games played and 1,000 penalty minutes club. Can't forget his 528 points in 16 NHL seasons. Currently, he is the assistant coach of the WHL's Victoria Royals. Welcome onto the show, Doug Bodger. How's it going, Doug? It's going great. How are you doing? Hanging in there with everything going on currently. Oh, yeah. Isn't that crazy? Oh, it's unbelievable. What it is. So how have you been doing during this entire social distancing COVID-19 stuff? Well, a little bored. Our season got canceled, playoffs. So uh, I've been a landscaper for the last two, three weeks here. But my yard looks fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I didn't plan on doing that till June or July, but uh, I guess that's what it is. And we were a little upset that we had our game. Uh, we played a game in Kelowna, and on the Wednesday, the eleventh, I think it was, and then our trainer says this could be our last game, and it was. So uh, we're kind of different, kind of weird. Um, you know, this is usually playoff time hockey, so I'm in the house at 4 o'clock uh, Western time here and watching playoff hockey, and the first round's the best round always to watch. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I'm just uh, hanging around here and just waiting for all this to pass. Yeah, it's definitely some uncharted territory for for everybody, really, not not just hockey players, but the entire world. It's, it's, a, it's a very crazy situation yeah. that we find ourselves in. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So you currently coach in the WHL, which is where you actually got your start in juniors playing for the Kamloops Oil Kings, correct? Uh, yeah, Junior Oilers. We were actually owned by Edmonton. Really? We were the Kamloops Junior Oilers. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I, I thought there was some sort of connection there, but I, I, I couldn't really make it. But you played two yeah. seasons for Kamloops. Scored 98 points yeah. in your draft year, and you guys actually went on to sweep both Seattle and Portland, it's 10 straight games to start the playoffs, and that amazing seven-game series against Regina. So what was it like winning that title in 1984, and especially winning it on home life, on home ice? Excuse me. It was pretty special. Um, you know, um, 
on it now. It's probably the last time that I raised a trophy over my head. So everybody says that, oh, yeah, it's easy to get to the finals. It's not. Um, we were very fortunate. We had a great team. Um, the, the best of nine, because there was more teams in the east and the west, so we had to play a best of nine, and we swept Seattle five straight and then Portland five straight uh, to end up playing Regina in the finals. And uh, I'll never forget this. It, you know, it's always sticks in the back of my head. It was game six, and they were saying, have a good golf season, and they were up by one with about 20 seconds to go. And the current coach of the Minnesota Wild right now, Dean Evison, end up scoring a goal and tying it up and then we won in overtime and then won game seven so uh yeah you never forget those things that was a long time ago and uh it was pretty special we had a great team great bunch of guys and uh uh it's something you treasure forever uh it's really tough to get to a championship and and i'm just fortunate that you know i you know i got to uh win the western league title we went on to the moral cup uh we didn't win but uh we advanced to the moral cup which is pretty special yeah, looking back at those highlights, you guys wore long pants back then, and <laughs> Cooperalls, yes, <laughs> definitely a different look. They were called Cooperalls, yeah, they were called Cooperalls, yeah, it was definitely a different look. <laughs> <laughs> like you mentioned, you guys finished third in the Memorial Cup. What an experience that must have been! But after that, you were drafted ninth overall just a couple weeks later in the 1984 draft, and coincidentally, and for most of our listeners who are Penguins fans. They know that is the year that we drafted Mario Lemieux. And usually, for you, drafted ninth overall, there's usually a good amount of pressure placed on first-round picks, especially when you go in the top ten. Did having Mario drafted on the same team take any pressure off of you coming in that first year, or was it just just as much? Oh, for sure, really. I guess everybody was focused on this one guy that was coming in. Actually, Mario was in the World Cup with us in, in Laval. It's the only team we actually beat. And, uh, you know, obviously we knew he was going to be the first pick. He had 250 points in like 60 games, which is unheard of. It's crazy. And, uh, yeah, so when, when the draft happened, I actually had met with Detroit, and I thought for sure I was going to the Red Wings. They uh, they took me. I went to Detroit, and I met with the owner and a GM, and they said they were 90% sure they were going to take me and to wear a red tie at the draft, and I had my red tie on, and uh, they ended up taking Sean Burr, so – all of a sudden, it was Montreal, Pittsburgh, Vancouver, and I went, "Whoa, what's going to happen now?" So, uh, ended up going to Pittsburgh, which was great. I, I didn't really care where I went, uh, but um, Mario was the first pick that year, and I just came into camp, and nobody really cared about me. <laughs> they were all focused on Mario, so I just played my game, and it was kind of a you know going to the youth movement. With Eddie Johnson was GM, and they wanted to bring young guys in, and they said, "You know, here, here you go." you're in at 18 and I go, okay, that's fine. That's great. So there it was just, that's how it all started. <laughs> Amazing that they had you wear a red tie and you still almost could have pulled it off with the Montreal pick, but unfortunately it doesn't go well with black and gold. No, no, no. I knew Montreal had picked a couple of Western guys before. There's no chance they were taking me. So they took <laughs> Shane Corson, but uh, there was no chance I was going to Montreal. So it was either Pittsburgh or Vancouver and it worked out great. I love Pittsburgh love the city uh you know spent four years there and uh some special times there is great great spot people never seem to remember a day in which draft picks especially nowadays older guys they don't remember when they were 18 years old they just remember them as these distinguished guys now these guys that have so much knowledge of the game and can talk for hours people forget that, that you and mario came into the league together at 18 years old so what was it like 
breaking into the league with those teams the first couple seasons? Well, it was it was pretty good. Uh, it's a funny story. Uh, uh, Bob Barrier is our head coach, and I went through training camp and and just kind of you know just I was quiet, just did what I was told, and the veteran guys were all you know being tough guys and all that. <laughs> um, Bob Barry calls me in his office and he says. Uh, uh, he says, sit down, kid. And I'm okay. He goes, um, we're going to keep you because we really have nobody else. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, oh, okay, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they threw me in there right away, you know, put me in a power play. I was playing regular shift. So, uh, I, I, you know, it was great. I was right away. It maybe would have been a little bit too young to play at 18. It's, it's tough to play in the National Hockey League. But, um Hey, I went in. I, I ended up getting 35 points. Played played a lot, so uh, I learned a lot. I learned how to play. That I learned. I need to learn how to play defense a lot better. But uh, um, yeah, it was uh, it was interesting. Mo Manta was was a veteran guy there. It came from Winnipeg. He took me into his house. And I was 18. I didn't know what I was going to do. And I lived with him and his wife, and uh, uh, it worked out perfect. They had an extra room for me, and they bought a brand new house. And, just fit perfect and everything was great after that and as you mentioned before four years in pittsburgh and then you go to buffalo in 1988 where you spend most of your career there eight parts of eight seasons i should say while you got traded away from a player like lemieux you still played with guys like mcgillney howarchuk hashik the list goes on and on but the big question that i have in your time in buffalo did hashik ever come out with one of those poke checks at you at practice or was that just strictly game business <laughs> uh, are you talking about the Matthew Barnaby thing? <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, you know, uh, it's probably one of the things I was very good at defending was using my stick, and I'm, I'm actually teaching that right now to these young kids, and and uh, they look at me kind of funny with it, but it's very effective that um, you know you you use that extra space to to, to put stick on puck, and um, I'm really teaching that now, and. I don't know how I did it, but I just that's just the way I played and it defended. So, uh, but um, yeah, it was a uh, um, good start. And uh, a Buffalo trade was tough. Uh, I really didn't want to go. I had met some great friends in Pittsburgh, and I was really happy there. And I was I could see the team was getting better, but we needed a goaltender, and uh, I unfortunately got traded for Tom Barrasso, which is probably the best move they made to get to the Stanley Cup you having a top end goalie there so it worked out for for Pittsburgh and that's the way it is well I'm sure my father would like to thank you for that then <laughs> yeah a lot of people have actually <laughs> yeah I'm just glad I could help out with the city winning them a cup you know <laughs> when you look down through your years in Buffalo the one that stands out to me is that 92-93 season you have LaFontaine putting up 148 points McGillney putting 76 goals in you even led the team in defensive scoring with 54 you guys went into the playoffs upset the Bruins of course everybody remembers the Mayday goal call in game four with Brad May ending the series in OT so what was that season and playoff run like to you being there and being an integral part of this team well we were a good team that was the ownership in Buffalo the Knoxes uh they were spending the money to win and uh, uh they, you know they, you know had LaFontaine McGill and the Andrewchuk Howardchuk we were a good squad uh Grant Fear we ended up trading for Grant Fear 
Oh, I think our Hasek was our goalie. Uh, maybe Anderchuk wasn't there. I mean, he's gone then. But I remember uh, it was uh, it it was some great years. We had a great team. Um, we lost Patty. I know he was injured in that playoff against Montreal. Well, Gilney was out, so we were missing him. We had great depths. We had some great checkers with Wayne Presley and and uh, Dave Snuggerud and those guys. And um, we had a well-rounded team. And uh, they beat us 4-3 every game in that playoff round, and th- uh, two were in overtime. So, and then they, they end up winning the Stanley Cup. So, I think they said their toughest round was against us because uh, every game was pretty tight. And, uh, that was a we were a great squad. We had a great power play. Um, you know, unforgettable team. And then, you know, obviously losing Mogilny was was not good. And and I would say I know Patty was banged up a little bit. His knee was bad. And, and uh, he was trying as hard as he could, but that was a that was a great team. That that, that could have went a long way if we would have beat Montreal. I think we would have been in the Stanley Cup Finals. Yeah, those second rounds sometimes historically have been some of the toughest rounds and some of the best matchups we've ever seen. So there's just another one, just a testament to to how hard it is to to win the Stanley Cup and get through four rounds of amazing Stanley Cup playoff hockey, which is something that sorely we're missing right now. Eventually, we'll get there. Yeah. For sure, it's it, it's so tough to get there. I spent the first uh, three or four years in Buffalo getting beat out in the first round every year. It was the old Adams Division. It was Montreal, Boston every year, and they were both good teams. All three of us were good teams, but we couldn't get over that hump until obviously you could say the May Day goal against Boston, which put us into the second round finally after all those years. And uh, um, I think one year. Uh, when the Adams Division, Montreal, Boston, and us were one, two, three overall in the league, and we had to play each other. So that's how tough it is to get there. And then when they split it up to a different playoff format, we ended up playing New Jersey, who is obviously a three or four times Stanley Cup champion, and then Philadelphia in one round. So yeah, it's not easy. You gotta you gotta have everybody clicking and everybody going and. Um, it's uh, it's very difficult to get there. You got to have a little bit of luck on your side and everybody healthy, and that's it, it, it's tough. It's 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 a grind, and uh, um, you know I really respect the, the guys and the, the the effort they go through to get there. It's not easy task for sure. Yes, and following the Buffalo stint, you had time in San Jose before moving on to New Jersey. There you played in front of. Martin Brodeur in the 1997 season. One of the many things, of course, everybody knows about Brodeur is he can play the puck pretty well, I would say. And that's a bit of an understatement. How much did it help going and playing with somebody that had that much skill on the back end and and was able to facilitate as well with you on the back end? Oh, I... It, it was it was a bit of a shock. San Jose was I love San Jose. It was great. We were in last place, which wasn't great. But uh, then to get traded to a first place team, and and all of a sudden, I wow, this might be a, a chance to get in the Stanley Cup again, uh, or get you know far in the playoffs. And the team was loaded with talent. Dougie Gilmore, Dave Anderchuk was there. Uh, Scott Stevens, Scott Niedermeyer, Lyle O'Line, uh, Bobby Holik, Randy McKay, Billy Garrett. <laughs> it was a it was a good team. It was it was pretty neat playing on that team. Um, yeah, I learned so much from Jacques Lemaire. Jacques Lemaire is a really smart man, smart coach uh, on the defensive side, which I was always an offensive guy, but 
I learned so much about positioning and, and, and stick and poke check like we talked about from from Jock uh, uh, from his Montreal days when he was a player, obviously. And uh, uh, Marty Bird, Marty was so good. Like, if he could see the puck, he was going to stop it. And they dumped it in. He just shot it out. So we never went back for the puck <laughs> at all. He just went from dot to dot. I don't think I ever touched the puck half the time. So, uh, it was uh, – Marty was – he's a great – guy super good guy great goaltender great competitor love the guy and uh it was it was pretty cool playing there i only was there for six months but uh learned a lot and uh we end up unfortunately getting beat out by ottawa in the first round that year uh which was a total upset and they were an up-and-coming young team with elfordson of course yashin but uh yeah it's uh, just the way it worked out and uh interesting to go all these different places and learn things from different coaches and players and teammates and uh it's pretty it's pretty special to look back on and uh, think about all those times yeah you mentioned special to look back on after new jersey you moved on to la and that's where you hit that thousand game mark the coveted thousand game mark in 1998 how important was that milestone to you at that time and, and what was that game like for you well, I never thought I would ever get there, really. I go, there's no chance I'm going to do that. And then it started to get close. And uh, when I went to Los Angeles, there was actually four of us that year that hit 1,000 game marks. I think I was the first one. Gary Galley, Ray Ferrero, and Russ Cortnell, all of us hit that the same year. So it was, it was pretty special. And I don't think that's ever been done before. Four guys hit 1,000 games in the same year. But, um, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was another – changed to LA and you know I was at the end of my career and I, I, I I'd been traded a few times and I was kind of getting tired of moving around so it was a little difficult but uh, um, the thousandth game was actually in Carolina and they played rally that year and uh, they didn't have the rink built yet so uh, it was a bit strange I remember skating through warm-up uh, not I did avoided the whole net because I didn't want to get hit in the, in the face with a puck <laughs> so I couldn't play the game <laughs> but it it was Manny Legacy was their goalie and it was his first game so I ended up giving him the puck that game you, you, you wow. can't take away a guy's first game from a thousand there's a lot of games there so I grabbed another one from outside but <laughs> uh, I ended up giving the puck to uh, Manny for his first game so that's just what teammates do sometimes you know hey it's your first game take the puck I'll find another one it's not a big deal yeah that that's amazing yeah. and then following your time yeah. in la you went for a brief stint in your hometown team with the vancouver canucks only played 13 games that year was that something that throughout your career you were always thinking of maybe trying to get back to vancouver play in front of your hometown crowd or was it something that just came up and you decided to to go with it actually just came up i was i was thinking about retiring and my agent called me and said vancouver's interested in signing you and uh he was my bad agent just a pay cut and i go well i really don't care it's vancouver i'm from around this area so um it would be pretty cool to go there and uh, it was late in august when i signed so then i didn't think i was gonna play so it didn't start out very well mark with mark crawford uh, um you're uh, he told me i was out of shape and i was because it was august when he signed me and uh i said don't worry i'll be better and mark messier was there and uh it, it was a bit of a scramble team uh but uh it was fun to play in vancouver uh you know my my dad is at all the games and he was pretty excited about that but in my heart i just couldn't play anymore so uh i just uh 
me and Mark Crawford didn't get along too well, and I just said, you know what, I think this is it. This is time to go. And uh, I just decided in December that uh, I was going to just pack it in and and uh, do something different with my life and move on. And uh, it was a great run, and uh, there was no tears. It was all happy. And, and from a small town guy on Vancouver Island to to, to play over a thousand games and and uh, accomplish all those, that stuff. It was it was it was a happy time. It was. It was serious, so um, it's more of a celebration, and, uh, and I just took it like that, and uh, just tried to move on from it. You're not the first person, and you're definitely not going to be the last person that I heard had a run-in with Mark Crawford that they didn't enjoy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, that's another that's another episode. <laughs> <laughs> that's another entire podcast, probably. <laughs> Yeah, probably true. <laughs> While your your playing career might have been over, you, you circumvented it back with a coaching career. Since 2016, as, as I mentioned earlier, you've been with the assistant coach with the WHL's Victoria Royals. So to you, what do you enjoy most about mentoring and guiding these guys who are trying to grow up and trying to be shaped in the same league that helped shape you for the NHL? Yeah, it- I, well, I took some time off from the game just to get away and you know spend some time with my kids because they were growing up and, and they got older and I decided to jump back into it. Uh, Abe Lowry was the head coach in Victoria, who I played with in San Jose, and uh, I just went to him and I said, "Hey, I'm interested in getting back into it, helping you out." And he said, "Hey, can you start tomorrow?" So it was great. Just the things that I've learned from different coaches like Jock Lemaire and Larry Robinson and and uh, and uh, you know. You know who's well. Sorry, I was thinking of another coach, John Johnny Muckler. We had in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Just some of those things that uh, you know needed to be passed on to kids because they don't know, and it, it's amazing that uh, they don't. And my, my uh, it's simple stuff that I teach. It's not nothing difficult. It's just positioning and and stick on puck and and uh, you know being in the right spot. And so uh, it, it's been fun. I, I think the kids enjoy it. Um, especially when they, you know, they they end up googling me because they don't know who I am, and because <laughs> they're so young, and they uh, think, man, you played a lot of games, and so they, yeah, I played a few games, so <laughs> <laughs> so they really like that, that the experience factor is there, and, and the biggest thing I try to do is calm them down. I got to calm down, just play, and they get so upset when they get scored on, they come off with their head down, pouting. I go, get back out there, like the game's not over yet. It's a lot, it's a lot of game, a lot of minutes to go, so. Uh, most of my stuff I teach is mentally, like how, how mental you have to, how strong you have to be when things go bad, and and how much you have to change your mentality when things are good, and to stay on that even keel is is so important because it's such a mentally frustrating game at times that you you can lose control, and uh, I think that's the biggest thing that I bring. Our our coaching staff here is superb. Uh, Dan Price is a coach. He explains everything technically so well i know the game but i can't explain it and he does that so well and jeff best is around our system and he's really good at uh power play penalty killing offensive stuff so we have a really good team here and and uh hopefully one day we can um, win another whl championship and raise another trophy over my head that would be that would be pretty special that'd be amazing to see doing it as a player and as a coach that would be definitely something be a great bookend to your career uh i just wanted to thank you again so much for joining the show. I really appreciate your time and sharing all these experiences. It's been a really fun time. 
let's hope everything in the world gets figured out soon so we can all get healthy and we can all get hockey back as well. Uh, thank you again. Good luck in your future of coaching with Victoria and, and stay healthy. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on anytime. Uh, I'm here. It's no problem. I got a thousand stories, so <laughs> <laughs> we could be here all day, but, uh, yeah, any, anytime. And, uh, it's, it's great to, uh, to, um, you know, here from the fans of Pittsburgh again, I love it there. I love the city. It's a great sports town. And, uh, I wish you all the best for the team going forward. Next time I might have some contracting questions to ask you about. Is that all right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> A huge thank you goes out to Doug Bodger again for joining the show, and a huge thank you as well to all of our sponsors and affiliates with Manscaped, CoolHockey.com, Reebok, NHL Shop, CBD Medic, Built Bar, and Hote Health. For details on all of our deals, visit at ContactTHPN on Twitter to see what good deals we have from all of our sponsors. Also, as I always say during every podcast, tune into our specialty programs, starting with the House of Hockey podcast hosted by Breezy and Ray Ray. You could also listen to Tales with TR with host Terry Ryan, as well as the Ice Analytics podcast. That is all for this one, though. You can follow Horwat at NickHorwat41, and you could follow me at Nick underscore Berlansky. You could also follow the show's Twitter handle at IcebergPodcast. The tip of the iceberg can be found anywhere you get your podcast from subscribe and rate us on apple Podcasts to show your support we love hearing all the feedback and we love hearing all the support that you guys have for us we hope you guys enjoyed the show the tip of the iceberg is brought to you by the hockey podcast network they are on twitter at hockey Podnet, or you could visit them at the hockey podcast network.com every team everywhere we'll see you guys next week